Won't you open your Bibles with me tonight? Mark chapter 5, we're still there. We're going to be looking at verses 22 and 23 tonight. Mark chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what the word of the Lord says. And a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived and he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. Lord, I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your mercy, peace, and your grace. Lord, I thank you for the sweet, sweet spirit I feel in this house. Lord, the spirit of intercession, the spirit of power. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to grab a hold of your power, not just for ourselves, but for those can't grab it. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Amen and amen. Pop-up revival tonight, I'm calling this service all for someone else. All for someone else. You see, we, we run into a danger when we come into the end of the second week of revival, we walk into a danger that we come into the service for us. We walk into a danger when we realize that the power of God is in the house. We walk into a danger that we come to Him for ourselves. To remind you where we are here in this passage and in this story, Monday night, we talked about how that the disciples were on the boat. Storm came up. They thought they were going to die. And, and Jesus got up from his sleep and calmed the storm and rebuked their lack of faith. Said, you know who I am, but yet you worry, can I take care of you? Then they go to the shores of Gadara, and there they meet a man who is bound by a legion of demons that we labeled as the past on Tuesday night. And we talked about how that the past chained us up and caused us to live among the memories of things gone by, and how that the past kept us from what God has for us. The past will keep you out of your future every time. But when the crowd gathered around, they said we would rather have the past that we know than the future that we don't know. I'm not going to re-preach that message. But let me tell you something, that's the problem with a lot of churches in America. We would rather have what we've always had than let God do what He wants to do, and our church may look different. I got news for you. Our church is going to look different from this point forward. 
It's not going to be the same old church again. We're not going back to the same way we were. See, Pastor Tommy's been listening to Evangelist Tommy for two weeks. And, 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 and Pastor Tommy is understanding that there's some things that we got to let go of and some things that we got to grab a hold of. You may not like some of the things that Pastor Tommy's about to say, this is what we're going to do. But we're going to do it anyway. Pastor Tommy done decided he don't care. Again, the crowd was more concerned about what it was costing them than what God could give. The disciples were afraid God couldn't take care of them. The crowd, the, the inhabitants of the garrisons, were more concerned about what God was going to cost them. He had already cost them 2,000 pigs. They were more concerned about what God was going to cost them. So now he gets in the boat and he comes back across the water. When he gets there, there is a crowd gathered. Now, why is there a crowd there? There's a crowd there because word had gotten out. This man, Jesus, I heard, heard he healed the lame man. I heard they lowered a guy down through a roof and he forgave him of his sin. Now understand, they wasn't concerned about his healing. They were concerned about his salvation. How dare Jesus forgive him of his sins? This man has forgiven people of sin. He has cast out evil spirits. He has healed the sick. He has healed the lame. He has, he has calmed the storm. He has driven demons out of, out of the demonic of Gadara. This man's got power. I want some. As Brother Curtis was saying, they said there's a super duper whooper whooper coming. Oh! Can I be. Can I lie to you for a little bit? No, I'm not going to lie. I've decided I'm going to quit asking if I tell the truth. I'm just going to start asking if I can lie. But, but let me tell you the truth. There's a good chance that if I'd have brought Curtis Silcox or David Tennyson, we could have filled the house. Every time I brought them, any other time we filled the house. Dear Lord, we had 50 people that stayed here all day long to hear both of them four services in one day last year. And I had 50 people that were here all day. We had, I don't think we've had 50, but one night, this whole revival. We could have filled the crowd. You know why? Because the crowd would come to hear the dude whistle. Then come hear that crazy Cajun guy get up and it whistles when he preaches and he bounces around. They had to fill the seats to come hear the dude with the weird eyes. Brother Tenney, you ain't, you ain't ever noticed his eyes. I don't know how you missed them. Love you, David. <laughs> 
powerful preacher. He preaches with prayer shawls and he, and he, and he poured water on himself and he went out the building and he, oh, he's crazy. They'll fill the house for that because they want a piece of what they bring. Pastor Tommy. Pastor Tommy, Pastor Tommy, that's why this revival's different. Because this revival's not about getting a piece of what an evangelist brings, but it's about finding out what God's got. Y'all have heard me preach for almost seven years. There ain't nothing special about me. Nothing I can do will surprise you. You know what I tell people all the time? If I want to shock my people anymore, i got to wear a suit and tie and stand flat-footed behind the pulpit. That is the only shocking thing I can do to my church anymore. I dive underneath somebody's feet and tear up my knees. People just go, oh, that's Pastor Tommy. I'm going to tell you right now, Evangelist Tommy is writing checks that Pastor Tommy can't cash. I told Sister Nina today, I was visiting with her at the hospital, and I told her, I said, I'm going to have to make some of my illustrations. They're going to be more like, well, when I was younger, this is what I would have done. Several years ago, I would have done Getting too old to do that stuff anymore. I waited another five or ten years, I would have dove under them and we'd have had to have an altar call because I wouldn't have been getting back up. The crowds gather because they want a piece of what God is bringing. They want a piece of the anointing. Mm. Oh, I, I'm not down in the crowds. I've been part of the crowd. Oh, don't you think when I know I can get to one of those Brother Curtis's revival or Brother Tennyson's revival or, or some other friends of mine, Scott King. Oh, my word. Oh, I'm going to get Scott King out here one of these days. You think Curtis Silcox is crazy. You ain't seen nothing like Scott King. Scott King was the first preacher I see get up and run the backs of a few. I saw Scott King. Now, I'm out of the box, folks. I saw Scott King get excited and jump up and stand on a communion table and preach. And I went, oh, somebody's going to be mad at you, and he just didn't care. When, yeah, that one, if he stood on that one and preached, I'd just be shouting God for the miracle. <laughs> you breathe on that one heavy and it shakes. But when... We come because we want to be. I've been there. I used to follow Scott King all around upstate South Carolina. I wanted to hear him preach. I worked with him in the ministry. There, there wasn't many people that could keep up with him at an altar, but I could. And, and, and most of the time. And, and, and God, God just blessed. Man, I, I love hearing Dr. Hill preach. Woo! 
I, 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 love, I love all these guys that, man, I want, to, I want to be there. I've told you about the times in South Carolina when I was hurting and I was going through depression and I felt like I wasn't going to make it. And I went to camp meeting and Floyd Lahan was there and he was calling people out and he was giving them words and I'm sitting on the seat going... I wanted him to call me out. Give me a word. You know what God told me? Quit looking for a man to tell you what I've already told you. See, I, I, I wanted a piece of what he had. The crowds gather to get a piece of what somebody else has. But there was somebody different in the crowd. His name was Jairus. Jairus was the head of the synagogue. Where did I throw those? For those I've told to pray, I'm not don't have a headache. I'm just tired of wearing glasses. Jairus comes. He says, God, I don't need a piece of you. But she does. I don't need you, but she does. Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. See, the crowd was there wanting to get a piece of Christ. Wanting to get a piece of the blessing. Wanting to get a piece of the outpouring. Jairus showed up. And he says, I'm the head of synagogue. Obviously he believed. Obviously he was a believer. He said, I, I, don't, I don't need you for me. My daughter, not just my daughter, my little daughter, my daughter is dying. My daughter is dying. You've got to come and lay your hands on her. If you can get there, you can heal her and she can live. He come to him not crying out for himself, but rather crying out, you need to help my daughter. What happened to the day that we quit worrying about what God could do for us and we started worrying about what God could do for our family. What happened to the day that we quit saying, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And we started saying, God, my daughter. What happened to the days that we cried around an altar not for God to bless us, but we cried that God would save our children. I can tell you what happened to them. They disappeared. That's why your kids ain't here. For you want to go off blaming the church for why your children and your We don't 
intercede anymore. We don't come to him anymore fervently asking God, I don't need anything from me, but my daughter. I know what intercession is because I'm the recipient of it. My mama, my mama sat in a brown pillow top chair, wicker wings on the side of it. She sat in that chair with the air conditioner off at 100. Tears in her eyes. And God, I can live without air if He has to live without air. In a time when our life financially, we couldn't afford to turn the air on. Because we couldn't pay an electric bill if we ran an air conditioner. My mama sat in a chair and turned her air conditioner off. That somebody else was paying the bill on. And she sat in that chair and she interceded until God provided an answer. There were days and nights that I wasn't living right, that I wasn't that I But I need rest of I didn't get saved because I was smart enough to find Christ. We've come into a day and age. God, you better keep this anointing and not mad. But we've come into a day and age that we blame everybody else for everything that we go through. Well, you had a better youth program, my teenager would still be here. No, if you had a better knee program, your teenager would still be here. If the church hadn't done this out of the other, my grandkids would be here. No, if you get on your knees and call out to God. We got to get We got to get back to saying it's not about me, it's about them. Jairus come. He had ever right. He was a ruler. In the synagogue. He had authority. I understand my history right. As a ruler in the synagogue, Jesus was a rabbi. But if I understand right, the ruler of the local synagogue would have been above the rabbi. He could have come up and said, Hey, rabbi, I'm the ruler. Come on. But instead, he bowed down and fervently cried. Bowed down and fervently cried. I'm okay, but my little daughter is dying. You know what our problem is? We don't understand what dying is. You ever been there where you didn't understand what the situation was? 
couple of years ago, I got a phone call. Dad, I fell at the roller rink. I think you need to come up here and help me. Michael, we're playing cards right now. Dad, I think it's bad. If it was bad, you'd know it. No, Dad, would you just come get me? Well, you got your car there. But Dad, Dad, I, just come get me. Go up to the roller rink. I walk over. He's laying on the ground surrounded by girls. I thought, what's he complaining about? What's his problem? When I was his age, I'd have been like, Dad, stay away. <laughs> Go. I walked up and I looked down at his knee or his shin. There was a baseball sized knot on his shin. And I said, You know what? Maybe we'll carry you to the car. He wasn't crying. He wasn't screaming. We get in the car and he goes, Dad, I think it's bad. I said, well, it don't look too good. Let's go to the ER. We went back into the x-ray room. They took a picture of that. I'm standing behind the little wall. It pops up on the screen. You've been in those situations before, and the x-ray tech will turn around and go, we've got to let the doctor know. That x-ray tech turned around and looked at me and said, sometimes you don't need a doctor. And I looked over his shoulder, and that leg was so broken in so many different places and so shattered. It's like, whoa, that's not pretty. And I had told him, what's your problem? You got a car. I didn't understand how serious the situation was. Oh, but I can tell you another day. Happened actually before this, where I got a phone call from his friend. And he said, uh, Mr. Sandifer, we've had a wreck. I'm like, all right, where are you at? Right behind the golf course. Okay, I'm on my way. Right as I hang up, I thought I heard him say, we rolled the car. I'm thinking, how'd you roll the car in town? I go to pull, exactly, it was Michael. I go to pull out of, from, from the country club, and I'll see all the ambulances and police cars. I'm like, all right, I know where I'm going, and I pull around there. They have the road blocked off. I get out of the car. I say, that's my son. I'm still relaxed. And I come over a little rise. I see the ambulance doors open, and I see four people carrying my son on a stretcher. I quit walking. That boy started running. Cop stands his hand out, and I said, get out of my way. That's my boy. My boy's hurt. My I began to feel that desperation. I've told you two stories. Physical happened. Do you know what's wrong? None of us are feeling that desperation for our lost children. We're not feeling the desperation for our lost spouses, our lost nieces and nephews, our lost grandkids, our lost grandparents. Well, they just don't really believe in God right now. 
They're about to die and go to hell. got to get serious it's got to hurt us your neighbor is dying your co-worker is dying spiritually and we act like it's no big sure glad I'm the evangelist and I don't have to stay here and deal with this The evangelist. I mean, the. See, I'm I'm lost now. Jairus says, "I can't do this. I need you." And Jesus says, "I'll come." Oh, that's good news. That's good news. They begin to walk down the road. And all of a sudden, some crazy lady dives under. It may have been Jairus' feet she dived. And I would show you what that looked like again, but I don't think I could survive it. She touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped. When you get desperate and you want God to move, the last thing you want to see is Jesus stop. Boom. Jesus stopped. He said, who touched me? Jairus is saying, I don't care who touched you. Let's go. Jesus begins to carry on a conversation with the woman with the issue of blood. He talked about it last night. He spoke peace into her. He spoke power. Said she wouldn't suffer anymore. And while he's telling her, that she will not suffer anymore. What the Bible says. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. While Jesus is telling one, you'll never suffer again. The messengers are telling another, your suffering has just started. Am I the only one that's ever been in that place? Am I the only one that's ever been in a church when all of a sudden God sets somebody free of what I'm struggling with and I'm sitting over here going, hey! What about me? You're telling her she's got peace and she'll never suffer again. And my suffering just started. There's no use. We don't need to bother Jesus with this anymore. Oh, let me give you a little word of advice. When you start interceding for people that can't fight for themselves, somebody's going to tell you it's not worth anything. Somebody's going to come up when you're crying for your children, when you're crying for your parents, when you're crying for your neighbors, and they're going to say, it's no use. 
God's too busy dealing with the ones that get to him. Oh, oh, you got to be the one that gets there. Oh, oh. I'm glad I'm an evangelist. I can pull off and do other stuff. That reminds me. Reminds me of a man that spent 38 years by a pool. And the angel would come down and trouble the water. I always thought this was the funniest story in the Bible. Angel would trouble the water and the first one in gets his healing. It's like the ultimate game of, you know, first one there wins. Last one in's a rotten egg. Last one in's still sick. You know, this man laid there 38 years. Jesus comes by and says, why haven't you been healed? I don't have nobody put me in the water. Now I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to lay by the pool waiting for it to be troubled by the angel, I'm going to make sure I got somebody there to put me in. Jesus says, take up your mat. He didn't have to wait. But there were other people at the Why is he walking away? We go through time where God is preparing our hearts. He's preparing miracles that we can't explain. We talked about this at the very first of this revival. I preached a sermon about the, 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 the lame man at the gate, beautiful. He had been laid there his whole life. Jesus would have had to have walked by him. But he was preparing. He was preparing a healing. He was preparing a healing for that man. He was preparing victory for that man so that 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 man's healing could bring a revival. I got news for you, church. When Jesus stops to heal somebody else, he hasn't forgotten about you. Somebody's going to tell you there's no use. Somebody's going to tell you it's not worth bothering Jesus anymore. You have been praying for healing for 11 years, Beth. Get up. You've been asking God to change your life, your entire life. There's no use. I come by to tell you, it's never too. I come by to give you the same message I gave you last night. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus hears them. Any good news when Jesus hears your critics? Oh, that's so good. I want to say it again. Any good news when Jesus hears your critics? And Jesus said, but Jesus overheard them and then said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have. Jesus, did you hear what they said? They said, don't be afraid. Have faith. No, Jesus, you don't get it. 
It's too late. Don't be afraid. When was the last time we had enough faith to look past death? I don't know that I've ever had enough faith to look past death. He said, don't be afraid. Just have faith. When he heard the words of the critics, when he heard the words of the naysayers and the doubters, looks at Jairus. Don't listen to them. Remember. You push past the crowd that wanted something from me because somebody else needed something. Don't start worrying about them now. Don't start worrying about them now. The same God you came back into a few moments ago is still the same God that can take care of your needs. Just because your enemy, just because other people have come up and said, huh? Too late. Too late now. That relationship's dead. That person's lost. You missed your shot. It's too late. Jesus says, Don't be afraid. I tell you, when we start walking in fear, we start stealing God's praise. When we start walking in fear, we start taking away what God wants to do in our life. We start believing what others say instead of believing what God says. This is the way they said in the Old, in the Old Testament, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. They sent 12 spies into the promised land. They all come back said it was beautiful. Ten of them said they couldn't do it, but two of them said, oh, we can't do it on our own. Somewhere down the road, Somewhere down the road, we've decided that we can't be holy. When God has said, we are to be holy as He is holy. Somewhere down the road, we decided that we can't have everything God has for us. We can't have victory. We can't have power. Somewhere down the road, we decided we got to suffer because suffering is easier than fighting in faith. I got news for you. I'll fight any day if I don't have to suffer. I don't have to live a life of pain and heartache because God said, don't be afraid. Why do I have to be afraid of what the devil's going to do? The devil has that is in the world. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And Jesus goes with him. All the way back. He stopped everybody. He stopped the crowd. Oh, no, 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 no. Now it's time for the faithful few. 
Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep. Why are y'all throwing a big fit about it? I want you to get this. First thing I want you to get. He sent the crowd away. I didn't see this until just now. We've been talking about how there hasn't been a crowd. Because God said, for me to resurrect the dead, You've got to get get rid of the people that are just talking. If God's going to resurrect a dead church, and trust me, church, we've been dead. Sorry. If that offends you, that's just because you're dead. Because if you were alive in Christ, you wouldn't be offended. We've been a dead church, and God can't resurrect a dead church with a bunch of gawkers around. And... He brought in those that believe. He brought in those that worship. He brought in those that had seen the storm calm. He brought in those. Who did he bring? He brought the fishermen. He brought the ones that were driving the boat. That weren't running to him and saying, we're going to die. And he says, what's wrong with you? You still have no faith? He brought the ones that believe. Who's been coming to revival? For the people that worship, people that's hungry, people that pray. That, 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 that's who we we not had very many gawkers here. We've had because he says I'm about to resurrect something in your presence that you ain't ever seen before. Second thing I want you to see, when he got to the house, they had already brought in the mourners. And I tell you, there's a lot of churches right now that are filling up, but they're only filling up because there's more. We got a lot of churches that come together and they celebrate and they raise their hands and they hoot and holler, but all they ever talk about is what used to be. Every service you go in, oh, we used to have great revivals around here. They've set their eyes on the past. I'm about to step on some toes and probably offend some people. Get your offender out of the way because we got a bunch of churches that have set their whole life up to look like when you walk in the church, their church looks like 1950. Because 1950 was the last time they got blessed. We got a bunch of churches that look like 1970 because 1970 is the last time they got blessed. 
we got a lot of churches that look like night. 1990, because 1990 was the last time there was a revival fire in there. We got a bunch of churches that look like 2015, because 2015 is when the last revival was. I got news for you. I don't need yesterday's revival. I don't need to fill the house with mourners mourning over what we once had, because God. Why all this commotion? She's not dead. She's asleep. What are we whining about the old? The anointing isn't dead. It's just asleep. The power isn't dead. Oh, somewhere down the road, we got to quit thinking that everything is gone and it ain't ever coming back. All it's done is we've allowed it to take. Why do people go to sleep? Because they get bored. You know why the church goes to sleep? Because it doesn't have action. You know why the church goes to sleep? Because it's not moving anymore. You know why the anointing goes to sleep? Because it's not working anymore. If I sat here on this stage long enough and I don't do anything, I'm going to go to sleep. And right about now, it may not take real long. If, if I lay prostrate before the Lord, I know none of you have ever bowed your head to pray in church and woke up 20 minutes later. I have. And I tell you something, the power of God, the revival of God's Spirit, it's not dead, it's just asleep. We haven't worked it, we haven't walked it, we haven't lived it, we haven't let it move, we haven't let it control us, we haven't let it guide us, we haven't let it pull us. And the Spirit said, wake me up when you're ready to do something. Wake me up when you're ready to do something. I got news for you. The church ain't dead. It's just asleep. We've become so inactive. We've become so inactive that we've let the church go to sleep. I got news for you, people. We don't have to slap it. I heard what you said. I know. Spirit don't go to sleep. Churches do. He's right here. All he needs us is to step up and start moving. All he needs is us to get up. All he needs is us to rise up. The church is asleep. We've given up. And we've blamed other people. 
But when intercession comes, when we begin to realize it's not about us, God doesn't need the church to wake up for you. He doesn't need the church to wake up for you. Some of us, we might even make it to heaven in a sleepy church. But we're going in by ourselves. Who are we talking about in this story? Which I've always believed that Jairus' daughter was a picture of the church. We're talking about a 12-year-old girl. A 12-year-old girl. You understand? She didn't need to wake up for her. She didn't need to wake up for her daddy. She needed to wake up for her future. She was just getting to the age. She was coming into the time of life that she could reproduce. She didn't need to wake up for her. She didn't even need to wake up for her daddy. She needed to wake up because she had offspring. She had children coming. She had grandchildren coming. Daddy going to live on. She going to go to glory if she was a believer. But her children wasn't going to happen. Her grandchildren wasn't going to happen. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, if the church doesn't wake up today, some of us may go to glory. Other churches in town will carry on the gospel, but the children of this house will never exist. If we don't wake up today, we will never... What's all the commotion? The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was laid. Over and over and over and over and over we keep coming back to what the crowd does. The crowd wants a piece of him. The crowd laughs. The crowd doesn't want Jesus around. The crowd blocks Jesus from the woman with the issue of blood. Crowd this, the crowd that, other people this, other people that. Can I tell you, other people do nothing but get in the way. Pastor, you saying we don't want anybody else in church? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we got to quit listening to the world. We're... We've got the gospel backwards. We started listening to the world. The world doesn't speak into our life. God does. The world isn't going to answer its own questions. They can't even figure out if they're boys or girls. Let me tell you something. We live in a messed up society. We live in
live in a messed up world. They don't know the answers. Most of them don't even know the questions. But we know the answer. We don't have to know the question. We know the answer. Jesus is the answer. The old song says Jesus is the answer for the world today. That has to change. They're going to laugh at us. I don't know what's happened to me. I think I'm getting old. Who said this? Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> I preach whole sermons, get one oh, my from him, and he gets one in one comment. Say something. I think I'm getting old because I'm sounding old. I'm telling you right now, I am sick, tired of trying to water down the gospel so we can fill up a room. I told you the other day, and I believe it. Just because the church is full doesn't mean they water down the gospel, but there's a lot of. We need some old fashioned holiness Pentecostal preaching. I want the day again where they look at me and they say, You're strange, bro. I want to be called. What happened to the day that we had to get with new believers, get with new people in the church after church, and explain to them that we're not as strange as we look? Why is it that people can come to our church for weeks on end and not have to experience what the Holy Ghost does? Why is it? Oh, it happened to me. Had a young lady come to my church for five or six weeks. We went to another church. Spirit started moving. She went, <laughs> broke up with her boyfriend, never came back. Her boyfriend called me and said, I don't know. She, she it's scared of what I do. I said, let her go. I said all the right things to him. Let her go. Let the anointing flow through you. He was leading worship when the spirit broke. Hung up the phone and God said, why wasn't she offended in six weeks in your church? You know why? Because I was trying to be a different kind of church. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to, to reach the people who have been hurt by church. I didn't want people to be offended. I didn't want people to be scared. I wanted people, mm, believe it or not, in those days when I preached, I taught. I gave talks. I didn't preach like I preach now, I can guarantee you that. I may have raised my voice a little bit, but I didn't yell like I yell now. You never heard me speak in tongues when I was had a microphone. God said, if you want to be a if you want to be my mouth, if you want to preach my word, you better remember what brought you here. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I decided that I don't care. Did I change everything? No. I'm still wearing jeans and a golf shirt. I still use illustrations. I still dive under people's feet. Sunday morning, you're going to come in here and there's going to be 
Umbrellas hanging everywhere. But I'm going to tell you right now, I may use props and I may use illustrations, but when I start preaching, I don't preach out of my wisdom. I don't preach with with fancy words or, or educated statements. I get up and I preach the anointing of Jesus Christ. I preach under the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's the only way I can really preach. Why can't the crowd laugh at us again? When we, get, when we get to the place that we don't do anything that, the, that makes the crowd nervous, maybe we're not doing anything that makes, that makes hell nervous. Maybe. Maybe. If we can... Maybe if we'll start driving the gawkers out, we can see the life come in. I'm not telling, I'm not saying we need to tell people to leave the church. I'm saying we don't model church after the gawkers and the laughers, but we say what we're going to do is we're going to worship, we're going to trust, and we're going to believe. And when Jesus resurrects the power, when Jesus resurrects the church, we're going to celebrate with Him. We're not going to worry what you think. Now I get to get to my favorite part of the sermon. You can tell I've rushed through the rest of the sermon just to get to this next point. I heard somebody go, hmm. I heard that. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three, his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Just blew me out of the water. Holding her hand. He said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Holding her hand. You know what the power of intercession is? It's when you've cried out, my little girl is sick. She's dying. The crowd has told you it's too late. She's dead. But Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in and He holds the hand of your future. He holds the hand of your Jesus walks in and He doesn't just speak to that little girl. He doesn't command that little girl. He comes in and He caresses her hand in His hand. All of a sudden, He takes that little girl and He puts her hand in the hand that Jesus is holding our hand. Before he says, little girl, get up. Before he stands up, he held her hand. Before the miracle was visible, 
he held her hand. Before the miracle was manifested, he held her hand. Before love, Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. Hold my hand. It is at his touch. It is at his ability. It's when he caresses us that he begins to give us love. When he held her hand, those around him thought there's no hope there's no future there's nothing that can be done Elijah laid down on top of the dead boy face to face nose to nose eyes to eyes Elijah did the same thing Jesus said, I don't need to lay on top of you. I just need to hold you. Dead body was thrown in a grave. When he got there, he landed on top of Elisha's dry bones. And he come back to life. Jesus said, you don't need to find my dry bones in a grave. You don't need to fall on me. All I got to do is hold your hand. You don't have to learn a special phrase. You don't have to know the right prayer. You don't have to go. I don't have it in my notes, but I can't preach this without preaching it. I've preached this part of the sermon every, every, every time in every different way I've preached Scripture. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. We can have a revival that goes two weeks. We can have a revival that goes two months. We can have a revival that goes two years. But we can have a revival that goes two decades. If we don't start feeding people, they're going to die again. I can get up here and preach all night long about the anointing and about the power and about the shout and about the run. And I'm telling you, I don't back off of any of it. We need the anointing. We need the shout. We need the run. We need the tongues. We need all that dancing. We need all that craziness. 
But if we don't start feeding people, they're going to die. You know what he said? He said, I don't know what caused her to get sick in the first place, but I promise you she'll get sick again if you don't feed her. I, I, I don't know what he saw. I, I don't know. Maybe when he looked at her, maybe she was really thin. And maybe Jesus understood that the reason she died is she had been malnourished for some reason. And maybe he said, listen, I've healed her not right now, but unless you change what you're doing, she's going to die again. Maybe he needs to walk into the house of God sometime. Maybe he needs to come by Souls Harbor and say, I've given you revival. I've given you outpouring. I've given you blessing. I've left the... I'm about to give you a hard word. We can't count on God to send us a revival every year or every two years to wake us back up. We, we, we can't depend on God sending in an evangelist or, 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 or a speaker or even a pastor and think that we can live blessing to blessing. Young people, you can't live Winterfest to Winterfest. You can't live youth camp to youth camp. I know, I tried. I tried it back before we had Winterfest. It was a longer run. I'm so old, I'm older than Winterfest. I say how old I am. At Winterfest, did you get to, did you hear uh, Brother, um, um, Rob Bailey speak. He was there. Did he ever speak to the crowd? He's the international. He's the assistant international youth director. My first year at Winterfest, I was a chaperone. Let me tell you something. We try to go revival to revival. You ain't gonna make it. You try to go Sunday to Sunday. You're not going to make it. How many of you only eat on Sunday? Some of you better be saying, not me. I eat. I, I only eat five meals a day. Breakfast, lunch, post-lunch, pre-dinner, dinner, post-dinner. Let me tell you something. What would happen if we started feasting on God's Word the way we feast on what, what would happen if we started feasting on God's Word the way we order pizzas and go to the McDonald's drive-thru, the way we eat cookies, pies, news for you. We can't live if we're not eating. We can't live if we're not feasting on the Word of God. We can have intercessors. We gotta eat. Here's the next step of that. 
we can't expect those people that we're interceding for to make it. We're not seeking. It's not the church's job. Get on that phone and call them. What'd you read today? Send them a text. This is what I read in my devotion. I thought you might want to look at it. Maybe you don't call them every day and go, did you read this? But maybe every couple of days you send them the verse you read. That's hard to do when you ain't reading nothing. You send them a copy of your prayer list. Hey, I was praying about these things today. I want to know if you would join with me and believe that these things will happen. That's something else you can't do if you ain't doing it. It's not about us. It's about the offspring. We go all the way back to the beginning of this story. What did you ever say? My little daughter, my offspring, is dying. And I need you. Oh, 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 my mama. I don't understand why God can't show me this stuff before I get in the pulpit. Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived and saw Jesus and fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come (laughs) and lay your hands on her. When Jesus held her hand, he only fulfilling intercession requested of him. The touch of Christ brings life. God, lay your hands on my kids. God, lay your hand on my family. God, lay your hand on my church. God, lay your hand on my neighborhood. God, lay your hand on our hearts. Lay your hand. That my little girl, my offspring needs. And he healed her so that her offspring. I heard for years that we were one generation away from John Pentecostal. I hear all the time we're one generation away. I used to hear. And we were one generation away from being a post-Christian society. Folks, wake up, we're there. We're one. You know what, though? We thought that that generation was a generation that just went away on their own. No, here's the problem. The problem is, we quit interceding. Our problem today is not the millennials. It's that we quit praying for the millennials. 
It's not Generation Z or whatever they're called. It's that we quit praying for them. We quit asking God to touch them. We started complaining about them. We started, mm, we started, we, oh, their music and they can't change this and they can't change that and they better not sit in my seat. Where are the days? There's saints of God, men and women, gray in their hair. They grab a hold of young people. I had it. I've heard other people had it. Two little old gray-haired ladies grabbed a hold of me one night in an assembly of God altar. Hang on. Let go. Hang on. One was saying, hang on to the horns of the altar. Hang on to God. The other was saying, let go of the world. They were both right. But I tell you what, they both knew how to hang on because they didn't let me go. They held on to me until I got all the way through to the Pentecost. I got all the way through the Holy Ghost began to speak in other tongues. Now, your God bless them. Well, I would pray longer, but I got so much to do. Our next generation. They're destroying our church. No, you destroyed the church when you quit praying for them. But they're not dead. Start crying out again. Generation behind us. Dying. Look around this church. Look around this church. Where are you going to be? Where is this church going to be in 10 years? Now remember, this whole front row is from another church. Where are we going to be in 10 years? I mean, I might even be starting to get old in 10 years. Where are we going to be in 20 years? Lord doesn't come back. Some of, you, some of you figure out how old you're going to be in 20 years. Always younger than me. But I'll always be younger than them. I got news for you. Now I want you to look around this church. I want, to look, I want you to look around your own home. Where are your kids? your grandkids. Oh, you're going to have all kinds of excuses. Oh, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. No, 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 no. We need to get on our knees and fervently come to Christ and say, our children are dying and they need you to lay your hands. Lay your hands on them so that they That's about intercession. Worship was about intercession. The sermon is about intercession. 
Some of you are still waiting for me to give you an opportunity to come up here so I can lay hands on you. Wrong. We're going to intercede. I'm going to open up these altars. I want you to find a place. I want you to start calling out some names. You know who they are. You know who it is. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your grandparents. Your aunts, your uncles. Your neighbor. Maybe they're older than you. Maybe they're younger than you. But they are a generation of people who are dying and going to hell. And we need to start crying out and say, God, put your hand on them. Put your hand on them. God, move us beyond just wanting it for ourselves and let us get hungry. Let us get desperate asking you. Put your hand on them. Come find a place to pray.